Welcome to the World Awakening Podcast, a production of Invenari, a community centered around following the deep longings, discovering our unique gifts daily, becoming the change we wish to see in the world, and leaning into the mysteries of life. This is something we all do together. Your invitation into this journey begins right now. everybody. Welcome back. This is World Awakening. We are the ones we've been waiting for. My name is Mark Wallstrom, and we're here for another podcast conversation. And in conversation with me today is Mark Clark. Mark is an organizational consultant, works with a number of different organizations, and helping them to move forward through many challenges and organizational structure, uh, things that come up in every organization, really. So we've been talking in previous podcasts about the individual movement of awakening, and now we're exploring what does that look like on the collective level. So at the level of an organization, a business, a company, what is what is the awakening process look like? And so we're going to talk about some of the specifics of how the individual and the collective then show up together as a synergistic. And we talked about how in an organization um, there's a change. There's, there's a sense of people wanting to make change in organizations, sometimes not knowing necessarily how to make change, but what do you suggest to people and organizations that are looking to make change? Follow the questions. Um, I think the awakening that is happening in individuals' lives is beginning to move into the organizational life so that you cannot separate the awakening of the individual from the awakening of the community. And what I'm beginning to see is people are bringing new questions, new concerns, and the complexity of the world is entering into any business. Just take the floods. You take, if you take our nation, the fires, the floods, the hurricanes are all impacting business. And they're all beginning to see that's not going to go away. So this is not a one-off or just happening this year. You branch out globally, it's even more pervasive. So we're beginning to see that the external environment is happening, impacting the internal environment of work. Then you have individuals coming in with a whole sense of awakening, whole diversity of concerns around whether it be the gender issues, whether it be the race issues, whether it be environment, and those are all impacting business around their life, the quality of a life, the values of their life. Very early, that's becoming a metamorphosis because life is becoming so complex. It's not easy. And you have people beginning to talk about what does regenerative organization look like. So you're beginning to weave na nature into the business life. What does regenerative mean, not just on a profit side, on a social side. So I believe there's questions. There's not answers. It's not, okay, here's the magic. Take these three pills, and our organization will be that way because the complexity means 
an organization is going to continually need to be regenerative because essentially also have different generations now. The millennial generation is bringing a very different set of questions than the baby boomers. They're working together. And that tension, as we see played out most probably visibly in the political world, is happening in the business world. And so that generational tension is asking new questions and new ways of being from a different set of perspectives that I think is going to continue to change and impact business, not just on a profit margin, but guys, from that standpoint, also on what's their social responsibility. And to me, right now, is the best example because we see it all the time as Facebook. Because Facebook is not being able to spin, the other PR firms spin away what we normally could spin away. They're facing continually, what's my social responsibility around ethics and morality, which are new questions. And that's the collective asking that question to them. It's not one individual, an individual who's risking. It's society saying, wait a minute, time out. What is your responsibility to the community? And so if you use them as a microcosm or an example, that's where we're beginning to, I think, move or, or have a metamorphosis towards. What comes to mind is the importance of dialogue then. If we're going to explore the questions, if we have different generations that are putting different questions out, then it's extremely important that dialogue be a format, if you will, or a manner of which we explore those questions together and move them to something generative. So in dialogue, when I think about dialogue, it's, it, is, um, it is going into the questions. Mm -hmm. And it's an exploration into the questions in a manner where you're trying to understand not what our agenda is that we're trying to push into the organizational structure, but what's trying to happen here? What's trying to happen with this organization? What's the best way of going about our work? What's the product or service that we're trying to put out there? And, you know, there's, I think, um, organizations and businesses spend a fair amount of time putting together vision and mission statements. But from people that I've talked to, a number of them, they'll say, that's very difficult to get those vision and mission statements to be, you know, literally experienced in the workplace or come together. And so coming together in dialogue and having everybody be kind of on a level playing field seems to be a critical part of that. And I know that structurally, you know, organizations are moving away from you know, the top-down, the hierarchical, because too many people feel left out then. They don't right. feel like they've got a voice. So it seems like the, the playing field is being leveled where everybody's voice is included, or that's an important component is to have everybody included. How, how have you seen that take place? Well, I think we're redefining what it means to be in leadership. Uh, leadership used to be technical expertise. And if I had these technical skills and I would rise up in a company and mature those technical skills and I would move into the corner office, so to speak. What we're seeing now is the complexity of any organization means that that has to be shared up and down the system. Because no one person can, especially if you're a large corporation, and I'm not talking about maybe an IBM or that, but even a corporation that's 100 million or 200 million, no one person can know all the technical skills with a shifting paradigm, especially given driven by technology. 
I mean, technology shifts so many things every day, and we're talking about expansion of that over the next, next decade. So what I'm seeing is that we have to live our mission up and down the system, which means we really need to have shared values and shared assumptions. Because what I do in my position, whether I'm in the front office or I'm part of the maintenance crew to make sure the quality of our spaces is clean and healthy and all that, those two aren't separate realities anymore. And that lives out the same vision. Because the vision needs to pervade, and the values need to pervade every decision we make, every product we develop, and every way that we interact with a larger community. So I think what's often lost is that we think vision is something we do as an exercise, and then we have it pasted around our offices saying, okay, we have this mission, rather than a living, organic document. I think that, to me, is a shift. It's got to be a powerful, living, organic document that as we shift in the company, that has to shift. And too often, every five years, we review it. No, that has to be a living document. It's part of every decision, every conversation that we have as a, as a company, and then tweaked as we recognize factors within our, within our organization and factors beyond our control is beginning to ask us to rethink some of that. So how do we have a shared assumptions internally and also have a shared assumptions externally? And I don't mean shared assumptions everybody's going to agree, but at least we have a common sense. This is what it looks like to live our mission. This is what it looks like to live our values. This is what it looks like to live our vision, that those are always three things that are essential and moving forward, I think, in this day and age. I, I mean, I, I'm sort of addicted to following the, the moonshot. What was the moonshot? We want to land on the moon. When you start studying everything that it took to get in that, it was only a 50-50 proposition in many people's minds. Neil Armstrong thought it was 50-50. The guy who actually walked on the moon believed that it was 50-50. What they had was a sense of shared values and a sense of a shared vision. And no matter what happened, and there was crisis in that, what was our ultimate goal we were trying to achieve for humanity? What was our ultimate sense that we have for humanity? And so what happened was, you go back and study, when you go back and study that, is the many products that they end up developing for the good of society. So it was more than just a moon launch that we all watched and said, hey, hooray. It was really a, a set of ways of being that really had larger impact, larger infiltration into every system of our culture at that time. Living a different time, from this historical moment, we can at least go back and look at that as a paradigm for saying, okay, here's how the struggle was to have this large vision for society that had ripple effects within every sector of our society going forward. Well, you mentioned social responsibility before, and it seems like more and more organizations are paying attention to how do we fit in overall, not just in our, you know, our specific type of business that we, or organization that we are, but even beyond our community. Yeah. What are we putting out into the world as a service or a product? And, and if that's a shared vision, then you have a higher efficiency, if you will, mm -hmm. of people coming together to move the organization toward manifesting that, toward bringing it out. And you also mentioned that the vision is a, a living document. So that then requires everybody to keep coming back together, keep having these conversations and dialogues, and being part of what I refer to as an evolutionary process. Yeah. We now get to be part of what's happening in nature 
and natural laws then apply. Mm -hmm. So how does that work in an organizational setting and trying to have a bottom line, you know, that's going to work as well because you got to stay, you got to stay in business if you're an organization, if you're a company. And um, so in drawing people together in that manner, there is a need for connection at a very personal level. And in some organizations or some businesses, that's not, you know, that's not the norm. But if one wants to go into an organization like that, you really do want to have a sense that I'm not just going into an organization for a paycheck. This is an extension of my own life. Mm -hmm. And in that way, my life and many other lives come together to synergistically try to work towards something that's greater, that's unfolding, that's we're putting out there. How do you how do you see organizations being able to shift from one that is has not been, you know, from that particular organizational model to one that is more conscious, more awake? I think it's gonna be a difficult journey. I think if you look at the individual it's not an easy journey to say, I'm going to wake up one day and all of a sudden say, oh, I'm awake. I mean, it's a really walking through a process of looking at my own narratives, looking at my own biases, my own prejudices, all those things that go into being awakened. So if you take that on a collective level, it's the same process. And it's going to be willing to deal with conflict. It's going to be willing to deal with m mental models that at one time fit and do no longer fit. So I think the other thing I find too often is people think of the awakening as non-conflictual. And I really do believe we have to refine the meaning of conflict in a healthy way. Many of our mental models of conflict is negative. Conflict is not good. Yes, conflict's not good if I'm making judgments and putting somebody down or putting a group down. But conflict to me is about energy. It's an energy that says, okay, I have these set of assumptions, you have these, how do we together reach a shared set of assumptions. Go back to your earlier term, dialogue. So I think we need to develop capacities and skills in an organization to handle the conflict, and as you said, over time, organically, it will morph into something. If people are fairly honest and open, and not saying it's my way or the highway, or the ego comes in there, but really entering that dialogue, over time, clarity, because of both the dialogue and external circumstances and a range of things will allow the organization to say, this is what makes most sense. And can we live with what makes most sense right now? Too often we want this ideal without walking a journey. And so to me, it's an organization walking the journey that will hit the ideal at times, will miss the ideal. It's that constant journey. I really believe any organization is a pilgrimage. It's a pilgrimage to the vision we'll never truly achieve that vision. As soon as we think we achieve it, we haven't. There's going to be moments of aha when people feel, wow, I'm really connected to this group. There's going to be moments because of circumstances that we're going to have to regenerate, which is going to create conflict. Well, I don't want to change. I like what I'm doing. Hey, <laughs> let's not touch this. Just, hey. just tell me what to do. And, that's right. That's right. Just let, know, and let, I'll follow that. Let me alone. I've worked for 10 years. It's gone well. <laughs> so, yeah. let's not, so I think you have all these human dynamics yeah. just so you have an individual awakening. And I don't, think, I don't think we are comfortable with those awakenings in an organization the same way because we do sense that, okay, 
the individual is only one person. The organization, you start looking at 10, 15, 20, thousands. All of a sudden, you're talking about a real dynamic. And so I think there's a skill base that we're called to learn. I think organizations are struggling to learn that. How do we have people live their values in this complex, changing world? Yeah, there's a skill base. And I think one of the... um one of the ways that organizations, as do individuals, really make these kind of gains and expand and grow is through being present. Mm-hmm. So that wouldn't necessarily be considered a skill, but being present in such a way where you're in tune with what's going on internally, you can communicate that well, you can express that, you can have some critical thinking about what everybody's putting out there. And you have to keep putting the ego off to the side because that's the thing that wants to come in and it's going to look for comfort. It's going to look for little or no change because that's, you know, that's going to bring up some internal discomfort. It's going to bring up a lot of things that I don't want to go toward. Correct. And so I see the organizational structure or milieu being one of relational it's got to be personal it's got to be relational now it's got to bring in relational dynamics we have to really learn how to be open transparent and you know speak and act out of that in each moment that we're coming together to make decisions and i'm thinking of um i'm thinking of various organizations that during times of, of challenge, when, when the market that they're in goes down uh, and things just really start to get challenged, uh, these organizations come together in a very different way. Typically, when, when you know, revenue starts to go down, uh, you're going to lay some people off, you're going to eliminate jobs. Some organizations are showing us the way of how you come together you stay intact. You stay whole. It's like a family. Nobody's going to be losing their jobs, but what do we have to do to weather this particular storm, move through this challenge or this market glitch that we're in right now, whatever it is? How do we do this together? And people come together, and I've heard some really, really wonderful stories of organizations that didn't lose a person, you know, when, when the numbers went down. They all came together. Uh, they would work extra hours each week. They'd come in Saturdays for a half shift at no pay. Uh, Not a significant inconvenience for each one because everybody was doing it, and you had a couple hundred employees doing the same thing. You can make up a lot on on the bottom line. And and those are the examples that I think uh, we can look to as far as how an organization consciously moves through. Because becoming a conscious organization or becoming an organization that's trying to be awake and aware collectively doesn't mean there's not going to be any difficulties to encounter. Right. It's just the manner in which the organization goes through those challenges. And even though the, the... playing field is kind of leveled where everybody's included, so there's inclusivity. You still have 
people in the organizations who would be considered, you know, catalysts or leaders. So the leader then needs to have certain qualities and traits as well. And to me, that would be somebody who knows how to facilitate that movement and not somebody who's dictating and it's one or a few people's ideas who are just filtering down throughout the whole organization. But it's somebody who really knows how to facilitate the change and construct an organizational container, if you will, that allows everybody to come into their their voice, their personal power, and have that be engaged in the business or the organization. What you're talking about is the culture. So those, those organizations that are able in those crises to come together and have a shared sacrifice. That didn't happen because we had this crisis. That happened all along the way. Some of those companies, so an individual may have had a difficult experiences, people stepped up to the plate. Some may say, okay, I'll take a little bit less pay to help her, her, him or her out. I'll take your ship. So that culture was there so that when the crisis came, when the times of challenges came, it was the norm. It was a shared norm. It was a shared way. Okay, yes, we rode these good times, and we had this culture that prepared us for when the eventual downturn or something happens or it doesn't go the way we thought it would go or that. And so to me, that's where what's the culture you set? What's the culture you set from day one. So people feel included from day one, the ego is not going to come necessarily come in in a way that's going to be sabotage your organization in crisis. I always say a crisis reflects years before. And so if you go back to egoic on the individual, there's a collective egoic culture. Is that egoic culture, I'm out looking for me, so in bad times, how do I protect my own little turf or how do I protect my company, or how to protect my image in the community. So again, to me, that's all where the mission and values organically lived. People feeling part of that, people feeling like they have a transcendent sense of the organization, which you alluded to a number of times in this, that again, just as transcendence is on the awakening side of an individual, transcendence on the awakening side of an organization. And in a time of crisis, offering it's the new awakening. It's the new call that maybe we became, okay, we were doing well and everything was going well, and so we got a little bit, hey, a little bit, I call it sloppy, okay, because, hey, we get, so our ego gets there. We know it all. We're best or whatever, however that's defined, and all of a sudden, factors come in, and so then how do we recenter? I use the word contemplative. How do we recenter back into who we are and what we are and move forward? It's very rare that p companies cannot find a solution. They don't find a solution when it becomes very egoic. The staff, the leaders, and everybody at each other's throats saying, okay, you're all the blame. Well, if you create a culture where blame and learn, a culture of not a blame, but of learning, what's the learning at this moment? And what's the shared learning at this moment? which again, to me, is more of a spiritual practice. If you take the spiritual journey, it's not just an awakening of an individual, it's a spiritual journey within the awakening of the, com of the community organization. And so it's always that balance of that, that call. 
And so a moment's a call to say, wow, look at what we impact we have on community. And all of a sudden it looks like, well, we can't even sell our product. Or nobody's beginning to want it. Or everybody's pushing back or challenging. All of a sudden the paradigm has shifted. So what are we called to transcend? And what's that question that's being asked of us now that may be different? We were very successful. Yeah, and success, you, like you said, you can get, you can get stagnant, or you can, you can just ride the wave and think that's going to continue mm-hmm. ongoing. Successful organizations currently are the ones that, as you mentioned, really just can be able to move with these changes and not see them necessarily as problems that need solutions, but see them as opportunities for further expansion, uh, maybe of the company, maybe of the organization, further expansion of understanding of what's happening out there in the world and how do we change with those needs or those preferences or those desires. And so the changes that are possible in that kind of organization to me are just uh, numerous. The, the, the ways in which an organization can continue to evolve, you have creativity that comes in, you have wisdom, you have people's life experiences that they bring in and say, hey, you know, kind of had this going on in another organization I was in, or we're dealing with this at home. Right. You know, something like that. Right. So it's real world, real time. Everybody comes together, and you mentioned it being kind of a spiritual experience mm-hmm. where, you know, not necessarily speaking esoterically right now, but spiritual in the sense of coming out of the egoic nature and trying to be open, receptive, and a channel for something greater than just my own personal history and my own thought process and my limited persona. You're trying to access something greater. And whatever one names that, it's, it's the accessing of it and the embodying of it and the organization that really creates this dynamic experience. So certainly the bottom line is part of the equation, but if that's the only primary driving force, then you've got a lot of people just kind of honing in on that. And at the exclusion, then, of all these other factors, all these other variables and opportunities that, that come about as a way of, again, evolving. I think the challenge we're going to face with the bottom line is the bottom line truly is just a barometer. Okay, are we viable financially? Critical barometer. It's not the only barometer. And I think we need to recognize that oftentimes our very success has a shadow. And that shadow will come around, if we don't pay attention to it, to look at it. So sometimes you can be very, very, I I work with one organization that was very, very successful. But they kept putting off their shadow. They could see it coming. They could see it coming, but hey, the bottom line is good. People are happy. We don't rock the boat. And so let's let's just leave that. Well, by the time it came, it was like an elephant. Instead of it being a little a little twig, it all of a sudden became a tree, and so what they had to do was far greater. So I do think it's holding in balance where we are really strong, our assets, and being able to be honest about, okay, there's some growth areas that we have. 
there's some shadow things that if we don't tend to earlier, they could grow. They could mushroom. And oftentimes, an organization knows that. You go through an organization. A lot of times, when I do interviews of organization. Well, we've known this for five years. Or we've known this. This is not new. It's just we didn't tend to it. So I think that if we go back to the presencing idea that you talked about earlier, it's holding in presence. Wow, we're doing great. It's great. Look at the impact we're having. Look at what people respond to. Look at that. Look at how this product's making a difference in people's lives. And over here, there's some things that just aren't working well. There's some things that we need to tend to. So how do you hold them in tension? How do you hold your strengths and your weaknesses in tension? So to me, it's more a polarity. Every organization has gifts, and every organization has blind spots. So often, we don't want to look at our blind spots. The awakening is holding both in tension. Because even if you're so successful and everybody's clapping and applauding, the blind spots will get you. As a football coach on Toyota in high school, where I learned most of my stuff, is he said, never listen to the crowd. They are happy when you're winning, but just turn the dice and lose, and we'll see a different scenario. And he's, and he's right. I mean, we lost the game, and it was like the end of the world, you know, for those people. And then the next week we won, and everybody's happy. And so he said, you get caught up in the external adulation, you can lose sight of some things that need to be attended to. It may be, okay, this product line or this is not having the impact we're having. Maybe this group is, needs some learning, some new training, some new development, but they're doing okay. Because, again, I think oftentimes we don't want to look at that's going to be tension. If I raise this point, that's going to be tension, and five people over here are going to say, hey, what's the big deal? Look at this. So then it's how do we hold attention both and. Both, yes, it's very, very good. And uh, we got to watch these. we got to watch how these unfold because if not, then we're going to come back to together. We're going to be in trouble maybe in a certain period of time, whether it be a year, five years, whatever that time may be. So I think it's always this dance, and that's why I think it's an organic process. And too often we still look like the industrial model. I think that's the biggest paradigm shift. We think we're an industrial model. Okay, put the car in the assembly line. The parts come in, and out comes a car. That's not the world today. Because you have also we tend to look at is there's an ecosystem. Just think of the computer. And you think of these microphones. How many different parts were made at different places? It wasn't one shop. They all came together to a shop that put them together. But the new model is you need all these other stakeholders to create, whether it's a good school, whether it's a good church, where it's a good business. It's not you alone. Which is the relational model. That's right. You're right. It's and a good you, way to put you it. You have to really work with many other people within your organization, within other organizations, to complete your vision. And you were talking about the shadow. And um, the challenge that we were talking about in previous podcasts for the individual is when you become more conscious, awake, and aware of what's happening, there's that point of the ego getting stirred up by seeing that. I don't want anybody to notice that about me. I don't want to see that myself, myself meaning the persona. So as a consultant coming in, uh, there's a tremendous um, 
skill one has to have in <laughs> bringing the shadow up to the surface in a manner which it can be seen or at least starting to be acknowledged without it blowing the whole thing up and having everybody just get reactive and saying, no, we don't need to do that. We don't need to address that right now. Because look, this wave we're on is just carrying us into higher and greater accomplishments. So I, y we talked about the, the need of a guide or the, or the importance of a companion guide for the individual pilgrimage of waking up. Organizations, if not from within, somebody needs to come from outside to come in as an objective, probably, person to say, here's what might be a blind spot or more. And then you become a mirror, mm -hmm. a reflection back to the organization, to the people in leadership, to everybody, to be able to say, this is something that needs to be looked at then we have to deal with all the internal reactivity and things that come up. So here's where it can't necessarily just be quick decisions and we're off and running in this new direction. Now it's got to be, we have to integrate this mm -hmm. because we don't want to see this. We don't want to deal with this. And now we're being called out or not called out as much as this is coming into our, our awareness now. What do we do with it? Right, and I would say it's rare they go into an organization they don't know. By the time I'm coming in, it's, it's something's got to be done. Um, it's rare I come in and it's something doesn't have to be done. The question is then, how do you deal with the emotional underbelly? And I think part of it is being able to live with the reactivity. Sometimes you have, need to have meetings that are reactive to really understand all of the terrain, all of the emotions, all of the fears, all of the things, because those are helpful in providing and creating a shared strategy. And so sometimes I don't, I, you know, look at it sometimes in therapy or some other things, you need to react first before you change. You need to get that energy out. You need to say, okay, yeah, this is where I'm at. And the question is, a lot of times you want to stay there. If they want to stay there as a consultant, it does not matter. <laughs> I mean, it's sort of like, okay, they made a choice, okay? Now, maybe they want to stay there but want to do some changes. That's the journey. So to me, it's always going back to implica implications of behavior. Do we want to continue to have implications? If we honestly do, then okay. Then you live with the consequences. If we're beginning to say we don't want to do that, there are already strengths in the organizations somewhere, as you look around, that you can begin to build on. Why is this working over here and not here? What are they doing over here that seems a little bit different? And this group out here is really weird, we call, and they're doing it. So you begin to look around to what's already happening that are things that could be bases for the change process. That's why I tend to believe things are not as black and white. It's not as rosy as we think it is, and it's not as bad as we think it is. The difference is we don't have control of what's bad. In the rosy state, we think we got control. In the difficult state, we think, okay, we don't have control, so how do we get control? So it goes back to rosy. And neither one is the truth. There, there's elements of both in every reality. So I tend to look at and tend to believe is how do we step back 
and see what gifts. I was working with a leader yesterday, and she was vetting and vetting and vetting and vetting and say, oh, by the way, our last meeting was good. I said, what was good about your last meeting? She gave me a whole litany of things, and I said, what created that? We were able to slow down. We were able to have time. We weren't rushing from this meeting to 65,000 other things. And she said to myself, wow, we're living out of our shadow. We're so busy that we don't have time to, what you said earlier, to dialogue because we want to get this task done So because we, we know when we get out of here, we have five or six other things to do. So the insight really was, wow, when we're in this meeting, we're split personality. Yeah, and that's a good description of it because that's what, again, we were talking about in earlier podcasts is this sense of the split self. There's a sense of that deeper interior sense of knowing that's more grounded, more centered, more open and receptive. And then there's the one that's autopilot, you know, quickening the speed, thinking that's the way to, you know, get to the bottom line first. And then you just have all this control and and haranguing that goes on rather than flow. And uh, I know for years they've been talking about organizational charts and flow charts and things like that. But I think we're talking about a different flow here. Certainly you have production flow mm-hmm. in organizations, but flow of process. Mm-hmm. And what that is requiring people to do is slow down. Correct. Because fast can get things done quickly, but not always efficiently, not always mm-hmm. effectively, and not always taking into consideration the larger picture. So it seems like organizations have to really slow down consciously and intentionally to see what's happening on all the different levels and the different layers of the organizational structure. And slow is not, you know, it's not the way <laughs> for right. a lot of organizations. So you, I, you also mentioned, too, that when change is needed and sometimes significant change and somebody comes in from the outside and says, hey, I just want to mirror this back to you of what's going on. Then you get this emotional reactivity, this emotional charge. So dealing with that is something I think that is so significant in being able to have an organization go toward flow. How do you see that happening? How do you deal with people's emotional reactivities when they just want things to stay the same? My experience is underneath that's fear. Underneath that is a lot of times threatening to my security. Okay, things were working, things were going well. You know, my family was taken care of. We had good benefits. We had all that. So when you start looking at an organization, especially if you're at the latest stages when they're really struggling at times, there's all sense of fear in there. There's also a sense of can I learn something new? Okay, if I've done something for 20, 30 years, even though I've grown in that, and all of a sudden new technology comes, and I'm not really a techie, I mean, all of a sudden it's like, you know, can I learn this? How much time will I have to learn it? So you're moving into real senses of that reality. I mean, I worked with one client that we moved the technology more centralized, and the big issue was, well, I'm not going to own in real time my computer getting fixed. 
Well, we had to walk through that question. And that was real for many people. Okay, right now I have Mary down the road or Joe down the, down the block, and she's there for me. If we centralize this, is this going to be, is this going to take care of my needs? So I think you're always dealing with real needs. And you've got to, sometimes you're going to address those, sometimes you can't. You at least have to know them. So you can say, we can address it in this way, we can address it this way. The other thing in change is so much about learning. Because my experience is, there is no magic pill. The day I think there's a magic pill is a day I'm not going to be able to support an organization. It's going to be trial and error. And so what really needs to happen is let's do some prototypes. Can we really work with just this group over here and say, okay, let's do this as a test pilot. And maybe we test pilot some over here. So we have three test pilots, so let's do that for a couple months. And all of a sudden, the learnings that come from that, and you bring those people together, you've shifted a thing from reactive to look at the learnings that we have. Now, they may not all be positive, but you're moving the energy forward. And to me, that's the key, is moving the energy forward. Because I keep going back to is we live in an unknown time. We live in a time that, for many of us, we don't know what the future is going to look like. There's so many changes that happen on every level. I mean, so many new questions. And we were questioning capitalism. I mean, this is the first in my lifetime I've ever had people really question the capitalistic model that we have. So that's a jolt. Wait a minute. <laughs> Look at what it's done globally. I mean, you have all those statements. So you start looking at this, and you start saying, okay, how do we walk down this path? And so I think what you're saying is it's constantly stepping back. It's like what happened yesterday with that leader. We step back. All of a sudden, she said, nobody wants to be this way. But we're all looking at our cell phones. We're all looking at our, at our texts. We're all looking at the latest crisis. And so we're not present. The word used earlier, we're not present to each other. And that was the aha. The aha was she, as we walked through that, was saying, wow, how do we come in this space? And this is sacred time. And we can put on the side that everything's going to be okay. And if I don't get back in two seconds, because our world, our individual world is instantaneous. We get a text, we get a Facebook thing. How do we respond quickly? So as a culture, we're trying to learn how to step back. I think that's why you see mindfulness coming into many organizations. Mindfulness is a way of stepping back. Mindfulness is being a way of what's happening inside of me. I think the other thing we're beginning to see that's coming in business is neuroscience. It's the integration of mind, body, spirit. People are not just bodies we hire. People have a mind and people have a spirit. They have emotions. You know, when something's not going well at home, they're not going to leave it at the, at the door when a child or a wife's always unhurrying. I say, okay, I walk through this door and that's it. I mean, their mind's going to be in that and that radar, it's going to be part of their radar, especially if it's serious. So I think that we're learning that this is far more complex than many of us have been trained for. At least I, my training has not been trained for this. And I think we're gaining a set of data now, a set of information from psychology, sociology, and other disciplines that are starting to come into the business world in a way that's making a difference. And leadership's beginning to look at that. Because leaders, by nature, don't want to be ruthless tyrants. You got a percent, you know, okay, this is going to be my stuff. I haven't met many. 
in my lifetime of now 25 years of consulting, I've met two. That really, at the core, I felt like, okay, they just really want to, you know, they want their way to the highway. Most people, I don't see it that way. Most people are very responsible for what they want, and so they move there. So I think it's how do you, for me, it's, it's a couple things. How do you capture the learning? How do you test pilot? And how do you build off of that? It's sort of regenerative. And then again, how do we look at those things that are successful and recognize have they, have, how much longer do we feel they're going to be successful? What's the life cycle in that? That's and an important point of the generative. Yeah. How can this organization be generative? Right. How can this organization create and sustain and be flexible in its culture that will help people on multiple levels? You said sacred space, sacred time. People are more than just, you know, coming in, getting trained and, you know, performing a particular function. They're coming in as human beings and the organization then is one more, you know, milieu mm -hmm. that people are having exchanges in or experiences in. And this brings to mind an organization I, I had some time that I was uh, doing some consulting with myself in the past where after working at the organization for, I believe, three years, you have the opportunity then to go on a sabbatical. Mm -hmm. No matter what your position, you had the opportunity to go on a sabbatical and you'd get paid while you were gone and you could, you could be gone up to four to six weeks. Mm -hmm. And the only thing that the organization asked of each employee that went out on a sabbatical is that they come back and talk about how it changed their life. Right. And so people would go out into these experiences and try things that they normally wouldn't do. I mean, you know, it's, it's not the vacation that they were going on, coming back with a suitcase full of trinkets and, and T-shirts. People were consciously and intentionally going into experiences that they knew was going to stretch them mm -hmm. in some manner. And the organization was in full support of that because they knew that as each person goes out into the world and has these kinds of experiences, what they bring back is that expanded right. expanded sense of being. Or they're just that much closer to living from their truer nature, or they've discovered more of it. And I found that at the time, which was about 20 years ago, to be a significant experience that these people had because I had the opportunity to sit around the tables when people came back from and everybody gathered around mm -hmm. and they wanted to hear it what happened where did you go right and uh, oh you know we we lived we lived with the natives in this small country right and so they came back they were changed their lives were changed and what they brought to the organization was not just a body who could do certain functions, but a human being, a soul that was growing and evolving and brought that depth of experience back into the organization. So that kind of investment to me just makes so much sense. And 
it affects the bottom line positively. Right. You know, all the research says that the more that you've engaged employees, the more those employees are engaged in the community, the more it affects your bottom line. I mean, there's because what you're saying is true, is that in a world that's you know, I mean, truthfully, when I grew grew up, is if I get my master's and my BA, I'm set for life. That's not true. I mean, that's what I was told. I mean, that's the narrative I was told. Okay, go through this this robotic way. And you're set for life, and you're going to retire happily ever after. That's not the reality. And so I think what you're talking about is then what are these experiences that we need to give people that keep expanding their horizon? And they come back different because all of a sudden they've seen a part of the world. They've seen an experience that has shifted them, has changed them, and the company is supportive. In a sense, that's, so that's where you go back to where it was mutual. The company gains, the individual gains. So I think the other word that you shared underneath here was, what's the mutuality we have in the company? What's the shared mutuality for our common purpose, our common vision that we need to live out of? And to me, that's an important point. And I think part of the struggle I see is that the majority of us are still growing up in a very mechanistic era. Look at the struggle education's having, trying to figure out the new paradigm of how do we educate somebody. I mean, so I think... What I've come to appreciate is, is that we're in a major transition of which businesses are a part of that, that we're not sure what the new models are going to really look like because they're also temporary. So what seems to all of a sudden work, another six months, is all of a sudden falling apart, and we've got to rethink that. So I think we're living in this transition, or it's oftentimes what you say is liminal space, and how do we get comfortable in that? I mean, I've not been trained to be comfortable in a liminal space. You know, either it's a bad day or a good day. It's not liminal. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's no middle ground right, for most of us, but that's where the, f- that's fertile ground. Right, that's right. Liminal space is fertile ground. If you can wait long enough, be patient, and practice, like you said, kind of a contemplative way of being present with right. what is happening, one doesn't need to always try to control something or jumpstart this or, you know, move things in a different direction. Um, you, you mentioned our, our common shared mutuality. What comes to mind for me is our, our shared humanity. Mm-hmm. So why can't that be a part of an organization? It needs to be part of an organizational uh, culture. And so many things are being taken into consideration now, too, around uh, a company or an organization's mission and vision. And that would be as what are we putting out there as a service or a product? Is it really contributing to the well-being of not just a few people, but the larger whole, mm-hmm. the environment, social responsibility? What kind of footprint are we leaving as a result of right. this work? How many lives are we actually impacting? What's, what's the ramifications for future generations of this product? And how does it fit into a larger picture where it's inclusivity, it, it celebrates diversity, everybody matters? Which means then we're going to have to be making decisions based on the larger whole, not just our little organization's 
Correct. You know, mindset of what's going to set us apart. And I think that's the challenge. Because I think in many ways, at least in my lifetime, with companies going global, even small companies, having some footprint globally, there are so many new questions. That's why I go back to what I said earlier. It's living those questions. Because for many of us, these questions are new. We didn't grow up. We weren't trained. We weren't developed in that paradigm, the paradigm that we're living in. So for many of us uh, of a certain age are called to change, and then you have the next generation, at least in the United States, coming up with huge debt. So though they're coming out with a whole different set of questions, okay, and they're seeing that they're not going to be able to outlive the environment. They're not going to be able to outlive some of the issues of um, the current economic system. So they're coming saying, well, wait a minute. I've got 50 years, 60 years of technology. I'm going to live to be 100. Well, they're looking at their lifespan saying, whoa, this is not going to go away in, in my lifetime. And I think that's where there's a tension point. The tension point between a generation that grew up in a way that um, had a certain, still in the mechanistic world, and those growing up in much more of an organic, globally connected world, and those two paradigms are at sometimes in healthy tension and sometimes in very difficult tension. I think that's what an organization is going through because they have multiple, multiple stakeholders that were never there you know, previous generations. And my father always helped me see it because he said to myself, said when he was on his uh, final weeks of living on Earth, he said to me, son, I'm a dinosaur to you. And so I said, okay, break that open for me. He said, World War II, your generation has no understanding of what it's like for a country to go to war. You have no understanding of what it's like to leave a country in shambles like we did in Europe. And that was true. I, mean, I can watch it on movies, I can watch it on that, but I don't know what it's like visually to see somebody die, one moment living next to me, and the next moment being dead on the ground. I have nothing in my experience to identify that. And he said, you're going to be a dinosaur to your nieces and nephews. And I said, well, thank you very much. But what he was saying was they're going to grow up in a different paradigm, and they have. They've traveled more globally, they've had more service projects, They've had more of everything than, than I have, and I've had a lot in my life. I thought, wow, they're 30 years old. <laughs> so what I'm seeing is this huge, when I look over generations, this huge paradigm shift. I think that's what organizations are going through. There's this huge paradigm shift that the values of one generation are not lived out in the next and are being questioned in the next. And so that's when you talk about dialogue, you talk about shared understanding in that. I think that's the tension we have. We see organizations more up front than we see individuals. Now, we can watch a show and see the joke last night was OJ's thing. We can see those anomalies. Organiza- OJ Simpson's. Yeah, OJ Simpson's thing. We can see that as a, that was sort of a one-off. Organizations we live with. We live with churches, we live with nonprofit, we live with business, so we can see, they become mirrors of our struggle in society in many ways. They become mirrors of our struggle in society, and the more we can balance the individual and the community, more as a polarity, the gifts of both, as you said earlier, I think that's the real challenge of organizations today. One of the primary traits that I see emerging in this current paradigm uh, of the of the 
younger generation is it's not going in opposition. It's right. not the competitive right. nature anymore that's going to bring you to the top. Right. We don't have to compete in the sense of trying to one-up somebody else. We don't have to get the biggest market share necessarily. Um, it's, it seems more, rather than compete, it seems more cooperation. Right. Collaboration, and I would also say it's, um, it's more of a sense of, of going towards something new and fresh yeah. rather than trying to change what's going on right. or take down, take down a regime right you know defeat and conquer and then bring our better regime right. in it's it's not so much about putting any energy toward taking something down as much as it is let's birth or right. let's create co-create this new life affirming right. organizational structure that's flexible it's uh, it's inclusive and it's really focused on going into that place that we talked about a few minutes ago, which is the unknown. Correct. And we come back to the liminal space. It's unknown, which creates a lot of fear, mm -hmm. but it's unknown in the sense of it's a potentiality waiting to happen, right. and the more we give ourselves time to just settle in and kind of see what's trying to, what's the larger thing that's trying to come into you know, into reality here. What's what's trying to be birthed into the world, and we're just we're just the midwives trying to you know support that into occurring, whether it's through uh, products or services or something entirely different and new and fresh. Right. I mean, what struck me one time I was with a group of uh, thirty-year-olds, and they we were talking about church, and they said. We look around in our neighborhood, you know, it's sort of like a community. We have seven food pantries all with individual church. Is that the best way to do it? Or could we focus more that one does something, some does something else, they have a larger impact? New question. We always thought that a church had to do their own thing, but how do we collaborate? So I think you, what you said, so as I was consulting a little bit with that group, looking at, okay, here's the collaboration. Here's the potential. I think that's what they're seeing is, can we look at some of these good models? Is there a better way of, of doing the same thing but spreading it out, thinking about it differently, moving about it, having a greater impact? And I think that's what's probably the new word that organizations are facing for the first time. What's our impact on multiple levels, not just on the product we deliver? What's our impact on community? What's our impact on um, the social w welfare of the environment, what's our impact on social responsibility. So I think that that language, that discipline is coming in. I mean, a good example to me was Starbucks decided to shut their things down and deal with just the diversity. Now you can argue it's a PR thing, you can argue a lot of things, but a company said, okay, we've got to take this so seriously, we need to shut down all our stores and have a four to five hour training period. It goes back to your sense of, okay, retreating. So they retreated for a day and said, okay, this is so serious in the company, we've got to shut down all our Starbucks to be able to do this. I think that's going to be the new model. And that's the model that is recognizing the absolute importance and need to address larger social issues right. as well. So you can say we're a diverse organization. Um, 
you can say that we're a socially responsible organization. But there needs to be a, a recognition that there are some significant social patterns and issues that also need to be taken right. into consideration. We have a number of people who are still feeling like they don't belong Correct. in culture, in our society. And you can hire them. However, um, there's still things going on that you know are leaving people behind right. or feeling like they don't belong or that they're at a different level of inclusivity. We're, we're being included, however, it still feels like we're not being recognized as just part okay. of, you know. So you, you, can, you can name those, which is important, I believe. You know, you've got um, a lot of topics right now that are coming up in the political arena as well. And when I say now, I'm, we're, you and I are having this conversation in, in 2019. Right. There's conversations around those in our society who are being either left behind, not included, their voices aren't heard, and then you start having these pockets of, of subgroups. And you mentioned earlier, when people get afraid and they feel disempowered, they're going to look for something that seems like power. Correct. And they're going to come together and they're going to band together. And so it goes from egocentric to ethnocentric and now you feel, okay, I feel some degree of security here, even though I'm in this group that is a hate group mm -hmm. against somebody else. Or there's things going on that have been considered the norm for so long that right. nobody actually even, and I, you said earlier, I don't think there's a lot of tyrant leaders out there. I don't think there's a lot of people who want to be part of these social ills, you know, right. these social atrocities going on. However, just in conversation with some of them, raising the level of awareness of what's actually going on and how we are participating is kind of shocking. Mm -hmm. It's a big surprise for a lot of people. Oh, well, I, I am part of that. Mm -hmm. I do that. Right. I think this way. I have internal reactions like that that just are off my radar most of the time. And I and I act like you know nothing's you know nothing's going on. So organizations, as I see it, because collectively you can do a lot for movement, mm -hmm. and so organizations can be part of the social pattern shifting, mm -hmm. and that's significant as well. So now you <laughs> now you have an organization that's not just again looking after bottom line, but we're trying to be an entity in culture and society. We're trying to be the change we wish to see in the world, mm -hmm. which is part of our message here. And organizations can be a significant part of that. And they can look like they're doing that and still not. Correct. So what I'm talking about there is you can have the organizations that really pour a lot of money, philanthropic money, into various things but if you step back and look you know sometimes you have to ask what are we actually doing here what's the motivation what's the underlying you know are we trying to be change agents here or are we trying to promote something that we believe in politically or you know what's you know what's the bottom line
And I think that's the important question that many organizations are going through. I mean, I think there really is a lot of soul searching going on um, because for the first time, organizations as we know it, uh, a capitalistic system as we know it, is getting pushback. I mean, every go back to your word, people are being left out. People feel that. I mean, and I go back to there's no landing community for these people. A lot of times when they're left out, they're left out. They're left on the hillside, and they have, you know, because uh, I drive for most of the places I go, I eat in a lot of places that are local restaurants. And you listen to the conversation, it's about identity and community. So if somebody comes and says, I'll offer you community, even though it may be, you know, someone has a, an ox to grind with something else or really be, uh, want to be prejudiced or that, it's community. Something, something they've had and they've lost. I think so often we treat people as individuals rather than see there's a collective hunger for community, a collective hunger that I make a difference, a collective hunger that I, um, that I can make a difference. And I think that's where, in a sense, I think of an organization as a community. It's not some anonymous word. It's a community. It's a community of people that come together for hopefully a larger purpose. And I think as I drive, what I find is what gave people community, you know, like their local malls. Well, I went to one place. Their local malls are just shops that, you know, plug and leave. Uh, I mean, because Sears is not there. Um, J.C. Penney's is not there anymore. You look at these big areas that are, that are vacant because they're not there anymore. Well, that all impacts the fabric of that community because that was a gathering place. I might see my neighbor there, I might see a friend there, I might see a coworker. So some of these places that were naturally attractors for relationship, back to the word it used a number of times, are not there. So that's, the community's lost. Even if I don't know them intimately, I, hey, Joe, I know you see the hospital, yeah, how's your wife doing, blah, 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 all of that, or Sue, how's this, you know, how's your kid doing? All those bantering that we've that formed community We've lost in that economic underpinning. So I think for many people, especially people I tend not always to agree with, it's when I really listen, it's identity and community. Yeah. If somebody says, I'll give you a bullet, they're saying, oh, I'll take it. Because I've been left out of the cold for a year, five years, ten years. Yeah. And I don't see any hope. Loss, yeah. Loss of hope. Or on the other side, when building community, you build connection. Correct. And that's what gets lost when we have this sense of a separate self. Correct. I keep looking for things external to Correct. keep propping up this sense of a separate, individual, isolated self. But in community, we have those bonds. We have that connection. And in community or in an organizational setting, you, you have the opportunity, hopefully— to find meaning and purpose in your mm -hmm. life that's greater than just, I come here, I do this one function, I leave, I get a paycheck, you know. Meaning and purpose come from the conscious and intentional movement toward waking up. Right. Whether it's individually or collectively. So, yeah, it's, 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 it's deep, it's wide, and if, if it's not soulful, then... You know, I think one has to really keep looking at what's missing here. And I think that's the struggle in a world 
that's controlled by your side pocket. That's the new organizational framework. We are one click away from anything basically we want. And that is changing organizational life in ways that I don't fully understand and I'm not sure we fully understand the impact of that phone attached to us that allows us to maneuver anywhere that we want to move. I think future generations coming up are understanding that, both the good and bad in ways that I can't. And I think that's part of the, the challenge for many organizations. How do I live in this technological world that everything's one click away? Mm-hmm. Whether it be a library, Google, whether it be shopping, Amazon, whether it be Social Connection, Facebook, we have these monolith organizations now that we did not that are multiple realities in the same entity. I mean, Facebook is both a business model and a personal model. Amazon is both a business model and a, and a personal model. We're not used to that. So to me, I start looking at some of these questions that organizations face with no easy answers. Yeah, it's a time to hopefully step back see the larger picture of what's happening, what the effects are, right? what the potential is, what's trying to unfold collectively, and step into that, have the dialogue, right? come together, you know, organizational leaders coming together, uh, community leaders coming together, world leaders coming together, and, and really trying to get a sense of not not so much a utopia, right? but a sense of a world that's going to work for everybody and nobody has to be left behind. What is that going to look like? What are, what are the implications of that not happening? Because right now, again, we're in the midst of a lot of very significant things that are occurring climate change and other things right. that are having a significant negative impact on, on many lives, many organizations. And uh, not too long ago, I, I heard a uh, uh, interview, radio interview, that stated that um, within 30 years, probably about 20% of the world's population are going to be dislocated from where they live because where they live is going to be inhabitable. Correct. And so those are significant implications, you know, of millions of people who are going to have to relocate. Well, I mean, I think if you go to our own immigration crisis, I always say it's not people who are sitting around a table having a nice dinner and talking to each other and saying, well, let's all get our backpacks and walk 2,000 miles to this place because we have nothing better to do. I mean, it's people who have lost their incomes, lost their uh, homes, lost their because of, of droughts, because of, of environmental issues that are saying, there's nothing here. Even if I don't make it to, the, uh, to this promised land, there's nothing here. I have nothing to lose. I, have nothing, I mean, we're talking about people coming from Africa now to the United States via other parts of the world because of what you're saying. And I think that's the new paradigm. The new par- and I think those are the things we're afraid to have dialogue about. 
It's not that we don't know where things are going. It's that we're not willing to say, what's, what's the implications? What's the implications if this continues that 20% of the population's going to be moving? I mean, I heard, you know, anecdotally, when I was in California, Portland now has a housing crisis because of the fires. People moved to Portland. They don't have housing. Okay, this is our own country. So we are not talking about Guatemala. We're talking about in our, in our own country. I mean, look at the farmers. You know, I, I read an article the other week. The farmers moving to New York with the jobs. I mean, the droughts have had that kind of impact. So with everything you're talking about, and I think that's, the, that's the, the, to me, the mental model shift that we've not developed yet. What's the gift and what hold, how do we hold the gift and the implications? I think in many ways we've held the gift almost as if it's the great pill. If we do this, it'll solve everything. Rather than saying, if we do this, what's going to be the unintended consequences? I mean, Amazon didn't start itself to create communities that, or Walmart, all these start communities. They saw an opportunity. The unintended consequence, though, is huge. How do we hold intention both the gift of any organization and the implication? And I think that's the new, that's the new tension point, that's is holding the, holding the implication. Not saying that we don't do this. If we do this, then we've got to do that. This is a time when we have to we have to come together. It's, right. It's yes. a collaborative, yes. cooperative. Let's come together. Let's have some actual dialogue. Right. Not debates. These debates just keep going on and on and on, and they don't really right. end in any place. You know, of of substance. Really, a lot of them. I mean, they just it's one side against the other. Right. There is some critical thinking going on, but dialogue is something entirely different. It's a whole different way of listening. It's a whole different way of paying attention. Correct. It's, it's, it involves noticing what's going on internally when somebody Correct. else is talking. Yes. I'm getting reactive or I'm, you know, a lot of things are coming up. But it also has the potential to slow us down, get us in a space that's more quiet, more contemplative, more thoughtful, and and allow ourselves then to just get out of the way, <laughs> so to speak, so this larger unfolding evolutionary process can move through us. It's not from us. It's, it's going to move through us. And that is the generative potential that Correct. We're, we're standing on the brink of right now, but it could go any way. Correct. It can go either way. So any final thoughts on... What it means to be an organization that's going to be part of this contemplative, thoughtful, uh, new world order? I think it's going to be dynamic. I mean, I being an organizational junkie, as most of my close friends say, I think it's dynamic because it is the willingness to live in the unknown, and we will find ways that work and always deal with the implications. I think for too long, businesses have not dealt with the implications on the social order. And to me, that's the new question. What is the implication of this on the social order? Not necessarily that we don't do this, we also say then we've got to do this. So it's the ability to hold the polarity of both, if you want to look at it from a growth model, growth and implications. We've, got, we've wanted the growth, 
We have not had the dialogues about the implications as they've unfolded. I think we have to learn how to do both. And to me, that, that's the leadership. That's the leadership challenge we face. That if I'm going to grow, it's going to have social implications. It's going to have social implications on the environment. What does that mean long term? So is this good growth? And if we do grow and get unintended consequences, how do we deal with implications? I think that's, that, to me, is holding those both in tension. That's the new organization. The ability to be regenerative, that's safe to the environment, and look at the implications of what has happened and how do we create models, social models, that allow the both and. And I think that's the dynamic question. And I'm not sure there's easy answers um, to that. Mm-hmm. I think there's answers. I think there are answers, if you use the word before, evolutionary. Mm-hmm. They're evolutionary answers, and they're going to be more organic than, say, here's the strategic planning path to that. And so I think the old models of planning process are going to, in that world, are going to change dramatically. And that, to me, is fun and dynamic. What comes to mind for me is um, we move from me to we. Right. And we move from problem-solving to moving into that more organic evolutionary unfolding and being a part of it rather than trying to control it. Correct. Well, it'll be interesting to see where it all goes. It will be. Yes. Thanks for being here. Thank you. It's Mark Clark, my uh, guest today. And stay with us for future podcasts too because these conversations are uh, part of what we want to offer you as the listener is the opportunity to Uh, be part of the conversation about what's happening out in the world right now with the sense and and purpose in mind of we we can be and we are you know the change that's right so hopefully more and more people will feel inspired and step into that in their own life and we hope that's something that you're doing or considering and uh, come back again We're going to have more conversations. This is World Awakening. We are the ones we've been waiting for. Send us questions that come up for our Q&A segments at invenaregr.com. That's I-N-V-E-N-I-R-E-G-R.com. Or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for updates on what we're up to. Your host for this episode has been Mark Wallstrom. We invite you to like and review this podcast on iTunes. And until next week, thanks for listening.